Okay. Um, hello, my name is Mike Diedrich, and this is the Veterans for Peace radio show being broadcast on KODX 96.9. Uh, with me today are Kelly Wadsworth and Pete Schoenmaker, uh, Veterans for Peace members. And uh, we're going to talk today about some of the history and ramifications of Armistice Day and Veterans Day. And as a sort of a background to it, uh, uh, to uh, Veterans Day, I mean Armistice Day. Armistice Day was came out of the First World War, the end of the, of the hospital hostilities in the First World War for, for Americans. And uh, the eleventh hour, the eleventh day, is eleventh month. And one of the things that was initially uh, declared was Woodrow Wilson, and he declared the actually Armistice Day to be a, a commemoration of the sacrifice and courage of veterans who fought in the war, but also de dedicating it to be a day, day of peace and um, of unity among all nations. This, uh, these sentiments were actually sort of uh, superseded and co-opted by uh, mostly the people who were in, in the American Legion in the 50s, and they renamed Armistice Day uh, Veterans Day. And since then, Veterans Day has become a sort of a hoopla, a phony sentimentality for honoring veterans. All veterans are heroes or all veterans are warriors. Mm. You get uh, a free breakfast at IHOP and uh, thank mm. you for your service and uh, flag waving, that sort of thing, without completely, I know, ignoring the actual original. Um, mm purpose of Armistice Day, which turned into Veterans Day. So uh, Veterans for Peace has done uh, for a number of years, actually, we have a uh, 15 years now, we, we uh, marched at the Auburn Veterans Day Parade, which was billed, bills itself as the largest Veterans Day Parade west of the Mississippi. That's largely probably, I probably think that's probably true. And we've been, uh, this year we have uh, we, going going back a few years now, we have been received quite well with uh, uh, clapping and peace signs and that sort of thing. Uh, this year we had 14, 14 people there, Pete. I wasn't there. Oh, and um, with our flags and uh, and uh, an American flag. Mm -hmm. Then later on, uh, that was the fifth of um, um, of November. And then on the 11th, we were at St. James Cathedral, where we've been for a number of years. And we had a uh, uh, statement about the war um, and, and peace and a um, ringing of the bells. And after that, we had some poetry and some and some songs. Dan Gilman led, led our, <laughs> actually, our friend, my friend, friendship, um, he was a really good, he was a professional uh, singer. So it was a nice short little ceremony and uh, uh, really a friend of mine who I've known since I was uh, uh, in high school or, or actually college. He's, and his, um, he's got some relatives in, that are German. He's got an uncle who's German. And he says, uh, he says I probably wouldn't be here what, except for the, of the, uh, what happened after that war because um, some part of its parts of his family uh, sort of got out of the army and, and, uh, but anyway, he's got his uncle who is 
who he still talks to, he speaks German and, and he talks about the war and what it's been in Europe, as you both may know, um, you go to any little town in Europe uh, and there are memorials to the First World War. Mm-hmm. I like the ones that the, that the French do and, that, and their memorials say, uh, les enfants mort pour la France, the children who died for France. Mm-hmm. And Kelly, you were just there and you toured some battlefields, didn't you? You wanted to, yeah. what was that experience like for you? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had the great fortune this past June to go to Belgium and while I was there spend some time on some of the battlefields and some of the tours with a trained historian and it was really really quite moving Mm. Um, so this was my first like visit to a major memorial um, Mm. of any of the big conflicts and so I imagine my experience from what I can tell is similar to a lot of folks where you're like this, this will continue to bear fruit for the rest of my life. Like it was just so eye opening. I I really had the experience of, of learning it all for the first time and Mm. feeling like the history books made an attempt, Mm. but, but it, but didn't get anywhere close to like one day, one 12 hour day felt like my mm. entire history education in wow. one, one fell swoop. So um, it was, yeah, it was really meaningful um, and eye opening. And like, I'm still, I, I would say I've only just begun to like process all of, all of what I, think and thought it was mm-hmm. growing up on the west coast in america world war one like geographically and physically just felt so far away like something that happened in a faraway place a very very long time ago but after visiting it then all of a sudden i could see the through line from there all the way till present day that mm-hmm. like this this thread continues to run um, in our just in our understanding of the world and one another and nations and war um, so that's the that's my quick version yeah. of what yeah. it was like which which uh which battlefields did you visit we went i went mostly to the flanders area so we didn't go to anything in france um just just what was in Belgium and then in Belgium, mostly um, non-American memorials. So um, Canadian, British, Australian, Belgium. uh, Mm -hmm. um, What else? Yeah. So that, oh, and a German cemetery Mm -hmm. uh, where it had been a battalion of university students and mm-hmm. almost none survived so there was it was kind of a, a different layer of a mm. tragedy on top of the whole thing which is a tragedy but it, it mm. had another kind of layer to it mm. so um i know so what's i mean it's really kind of crazy just to look at beautiful rolling hills you know on the belgium countryside and think this is just so lovely but 
what they really are are graves and like so th there's the formal graves with headstones but then there's these rolling hillsides um, where the soldiers are interned underneath and they're still there it's mm. against the law to like even dig a little hole because it's considered mm. even though it's a rolling hill it's considered a cemetery mm. um, and they still have memorials for mm. remains that continue to be found Oh, well. yeah so, so those those mounds are like mass graves yes oh okay Francis, yeah we got yeah so for uh yeah so some like there were some some battles where there was just kind of mass death from explosions or they were not able to be retrieved or they kind of died in the proverbial mud and not and just were still there mm. um, or died in the trenches. Like mm. when the trenches would get attacked or when they would explode, you're kind of buried 10 or yeah. 20 feet under the ground and mm. they just stayed there. So yes, literally mass graves. You know, it's kind of an aside to, as far as the, the foreign or the different sort of nations that fought there. And for the French, there were uh, Vietnamese, Annamese, there were North Africans, uh, Senegal, um, you know, the Brits had Gurkhas, and huge um, Indian. Yeah, so there were there were quite a few colonial troops there that uh, died. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There were a lot. They um, they still have an unexploded ordnance challenge. Mm -hmm. um, they continue to find them. Like farmers sometimes will plow a field and come across one. Um, best case scenario is it's able to be kind of dug up and there's a bomb squad nearby, like next to many of the farms. Mm -hmm. Worst case scenario is like a tractor kind of hits it and it goes off. Um, but one of the big challenges is a lot of them, it was, it was something between like 20 to 40% of them are estimated to still have chemicals in them. So like it, the chemical warfare upon explosion would kind of release poison gas yeah. into the air. So, right. Mm. So, so world war one mm. is still exploding today and we're still having memorial services for remains that continue to be found today. Right. So like it, it literally is still going like it's, mm. it's literally not finished yet. And, uh, you mm. know, veterans for peace supports peace trees, Vietnam, and they're still digging up stuff. The entire country was contaminated with what they call UXOs or bombs or bombs or weapons. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, and uh, the entire country is contaminated. Mm -hmm. um, so, and I guess that's true of places like Iraq from our first world war, which we sowed a lot of anti-personnel mines. The Bosnia, mm -hmm. Bosnian war has just got mines littered all over the place. Mm -hmm. And of course we've got, <laughs> the United States says that they won't, won't uh, 
won't sign the anti-mine uh, uh, hmm. protocols because they're afraid that the North Koreans are coming from across come across the DMZ and force and they'll, they need their mines, their anti-personnel things to mm. stop that. So anyway. Um, Man. So, I mean, there's a lot of, it's a kind of thing you're interested in the, uh, the uh, talk about the uh, Salem and the militias there. A lot of these people are veterans or some of them anyway, I suspect. Mm. And um uh, They've got a little different take on history than we do. I don't know. Um, yeah, it, it seems like it seems like something. If if you're not, I think constantly kind of working with it and processing mm. like one's own experiences, I think you can end up in like a place of stuckness or a place or like an arrested development, mm -hmm. um, like. For Veterans Day, in order to try to honor the armistice, I made a practice probably for the past 10 years of going to um, like a service, like one of the services at the cemetery is one of the wreath wreath layings. Um, mm. So to try to do more than just mm. a free breakfast. Mm. Uh, <laughs> at, <laughs> but after this trip now to Belgium, Mm -hmm. This past Veterans Day, Armistice Day, I felt I felt dazed and confused. Like, okay, what I had been doing is now no longer sufficient, mm -hmm. but I don't know what the next thing is. So it felt like a total transition, Veterans and Armistice Day for me. Like, oh, wow. what what it is this this annual marking mm -hmm. will will be something different going forward. Because of now this this kind of new way that World War One lives in me, uh, right? So I think I think there's there's just this ongoing nature of it. But I think sometimes when we stop getting curious or we get stuck, we can find ourselves in we can find ourselves repeating it, right? Like we can find ourselves repeating the wars that we just came from. Hmm. Well, you know, I think that's one of the good things about particularly our Armistice Day uh, participation and uh, 14 people, I think, this year. But I mean, we are the only group anti-war, the only anti-war group in a, uh, well, like almost 200 en entries. A lot of high school kids, a lot of bands, a lot of, uh, you know, some veterans organizations. And um, the the transition from when we were first there in 2000, you know, 15 years, go back 15 years, mm. when the Iraq war was still on and people giving us the finger and turning their backs on us. And then the, the well, sort of the, uh, the truth of the war seep, seeping into people and they thank us for being there. But I mean, mm. the dichotomy or the contradiction of, of Vietnam or veterans anti-war veterans at a, at a Veterans Day parade, which has got just, you know, they're all wrapped in flags and patriotic mm -hmm. songs and that sort of thing, yeah. is 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 jarring, really. I, I think it is jarring, still jarring for some people, but it's, it's a tribute to, I think, of our, our own tenacity. And, mm -hmm. and not all, not, a, not everybody in the VFP agrees with this sort of um, 
they wanted to do some, some of the people wanted to do something a little bit more radical, mm-hmm. which would probably get us kicked out of the parade. But, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> um, you know, it's still actually, uh, it's something that we should be proud of and, and uh, mm-hmm. um, considering what it is, it's really, and we've got, we've got a little, which I don't, don't have at hand. We have a little statement, which we read, which is read by the reviewing stand as we march by. And one of the things that we say is, is that we don't want to have these wars and waste the lives of any more people from this country mm-hmm. yeah. or any other thing. You know, and speaking of that, uh, one of the things we did at the, uh, the, um, at the church was, was uh, hand out peace poppies. And mm-hmm. the peace poppies were started from a peace pledge union. In, in 30s in Great Britain. And basically, they say that, I mean, they, there's that all we should remember the victims of all wars. Mm-hmm. And um, the red poppies, speaking of Flanders Field, is, is a memory, you know, and Flanders Fields, the poppies grow field, row on row. And the end of that poem, though, it's kind of a call for, you know, re- revenge, revenge, yeah. you know, take up your arms. And, you know, the uh, kind of interesting that there are some people in the British military and the British commemoration of Remembrance Day or um, Armistice Day. They read poppies and they said, well, that's a contradiction with the peace poppies. But they actually the British Legion, which is a conservative organization, says, they don't care. You know, if you want to wear a white poppy, wear a white poppy. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, those are passed out. And, and the uh, I think that's an important, uh, you know, direction for us. And you've, you've touched on it, Kelly, uh, Kelly, after seeing World War One, that it, it, it goes on and, and uh, it's really important to bring a bring it bring the point to the all people of all wars not just veterans yeah. you know so um a couple of years ago i um was at a conference in toronto and mm-hmm. it was in november and mm-hmm. so my arrival flight was on november 11th um this was just all happenstance but until that point, I had not been out of the country when Armistice Day had mm-hmm. happened. I yeah. mean, the, well, for the most part, I had not been out of the country, mm-hmm. um, deployment notwithstanding. Mm-hmm. And so in Canada at the airport, the poppies, everybody wears the poppies. Yeah. Like it's, it's yeah. not just w- sprinkled here or there kind of like we see more in the USA, it was, and I, and I get the sense that many folks also wear it like when they're on duty for like a job. So I was at the airport and a lot of the personnel all throughout the airport were wearing them as well as travelers. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the time I had not yet vi- visited Belgium and so did not have quite a deep of understanding as to Canadians connection to mm-hmm. the poppies yeah i do now but 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 to have like kind of a wide collective shared understanding of armistice day mm-hmm. and and kind of that you know it is a different it, it's a different flavor because it emphasizes something different 
rather than the person, right? It, it still is trying to emphasize the armistice, the ceasefire, you know, the, the work of peace. Uh, hmm. So that, that was very, that was very interesting to be in a different, to be in a Commonwealth country hmm. on armistice day. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I think they do a pretty good job of, of sort of, you know, honoring the veterans, if that's, if that's the right word, without addressing at all the facts of the war itself, mm-hmm. that uh, um, something like, well, in one day, 30,000 people were killed. Mm-hmm. Some of those battles, you know. Yes. Uh, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's staggering. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's really... How do you even, how do you fathom all of that? I mean, like those numbers are just, yeah, which, which part of me, after having visited there, World War II seemed to come so quickly on the heels of, a, in terms of like a collective trauma. Like, I don't, yeah. I, I don't think the world was finished processing or healing or anything from, the, I don't, from that. I don't think we are now, yeah. and it's a hundred years later. Yeah. Uh, but right, like, I mean, how do you, mm. how do you even, how do you begin to even kind of think about all of that? Yeah, war sucks. I mean, um, I think one thing with World War One was, I mean, it was just this deal where it was a hugely unpopular war once it was going. People increasingly turned against it. There was an anti-war movement, especially among socialist parties around the world that actually led to some revolutionary upheavals that helped bring an end to the war. Um, One thing, um, I mean, if you look at World War II, World War II, I mean, a lot of historians, there's some historians who sort of look at that as like a two-phase war center. Yeah. Like World War Two is sort of almost a continuation of World War One, because yeah. there's all this unresolved stuff, and also World War One created conditions for further warfare. All the create, you know, ranging from reparations to Germany, all these unsettled borders in Europe, and a lot of crazy stuff. Um, but I'm. Going into this talk, I was just trying to look over some of the anti-war stuff. You know, we've, at Veterans for Peace, we've dealt with, you know, seen movies about the Christmas truce and uh, Christmas 2014 or 1914. There were further attempts to do that throughout the war that um, were more effectively suppressed after the first time officers came in or they would deliberately start shelling like at the beginning, Christmas Eve and stuff, to make it less effective after that. But, um, like, you know, we just had this, you know, exhibit here in Seattle, Waging Peace in Vietnam. There was huge anti-war stuff among the military in World War One. I. I recall at one point there were widespread French mutinies in the middle of the war. Moreover, like general, you know, just... Wow war sucks kind of thing wasn't that politically directed there was you know two-phase russian revolution largely Mm -hmm. caused by the war you know the stresses on russian society um and then the german war effort ended 
in large part due to military mutiny, starting with the German Navy in a base called Kiel, I believe, in, uh, yeah. in the Baltic, I believe, or somewhere. But that's whole huge anti-war thing. And nobody, like, starting, you know, people were just, like, in, sort of innocently, like, they hadn't fought a major war in, like, almost a century. In many European countries, they're all flag-waving and will go fight. Everyone thought it would be a short war, but it wasn't. Um, one thing I th I think with the Canadian and uh, Commonwealth Remembrance Day, which is like their version of Armistice Day, is that they were like Canada was in the war for a full like four plus years, whereas the United States yeah. sent over this shorter expeditionary thing. It was rah rah rah. Mm -hmm. Now we want the war and go home. But on the European and Canadian and like Indian mm -hmm. army, there's a huge Indian army. I think they fought in Gallipoli. I think. Yeah, major armies from all the colonial countries were involved, and um, so yeah, I think, and at Veterans for Peace, we need to be really bringing forward that anti-war side, which we are, because I I think a lot of the pro-military, pro-war, various fascist forces, like even these you know Proud Boys and stuff, are coming from a more pro-war summation going all the way back to then. You know, although now after 20 years of failure in Afghanistan and Iraq, yeah, <laughs> uh, it's hard to make that case for a pro-war unless you're some sort yeah. of... That's a problem. I think no, Go ahead. But, yeah. Oh, no, but, you know, we've got our own... You're talking about this socialist, uh, uh, European socialists, French, German, and uh, probably some Belgians, too, before the war, said they would they would be solid. There was solidarity; would never go into war. But almost all of the uh, mm. the socialists, the prominent socialists in Europe, went and joined the war. Most of them died in a war. Mm -hmm. But here in the United States, we actually had a socialist uh, who went to jail under the Sedition Act, and that's Eugene Debs. He went to jail for I think a couple of years. And he was he was anti-war, and he was uh, you know. And they said, well, you can't be anti-war. That's sedition. That's They've changed the law since then. You can't, you can't be jailed for being anti-war. There'd be a lot of us in jail. I think he criticized the draft. Man. He, he didn't even call for resistance. Or, you know, he just like criticized the draft and said, you can't do that. Yeah. A real quick, one thing we did here, which I think Kelly what, um one thing that was really cool here was after the thing at St. James, right, there was an anti-war demonstration called mm -hmm. at University of Washington called by a group called Resist U.S.-Led War Coalition, which is a student organization. And some of nice. us joined the protest. It was really cool. Because uh, the president of UW was giving their Veterans Day speech inside, so we were outside protesting that speech, you know, yeah. whatever. Uh, nice. Yeah, that we're actually pending to sort of a, a adopt their sort of a program and support them. Yeah. Um, which we probably will here mm -hmm. in, in, uh, this this month. So yeah. it's, it's they're young and they're students and they're active and they're got they revolve all these issues, you know, war poverty and you know racism and homophobia. Yeah. And they're all tied together. It's 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 encouraging to see these young people <laughs> as opposed mm -hmm. to all, all of our all of our gray-haired <laughs> yeah. 
They're part of a broader, like a network or coalition called the International League of People's Struggles, yeah. which is in multiple countries. And there's also multiple other groups in all in many countries, including the U.S., that are variously affiliated with this International League of People's Struggle. Um, I think like Stop the Sweeps in Seattle was at one of their yeah. events. I think they're part of it. And uh, Bayan, Bayan, Gabriela, various Filipino groups and others. It does very, very cool. Well, that's that's that sort of thing of, uh, you know, I think maybe there's an opportunity to do, go go forward is because we've had, there's been no accountability for Vietnam, really. Mm, and yeah. there hasn't mm -hmm. been anything for our last 20 years in Iraq and Afghanistan, much, mm. much any sort of discussion of how the hell we ended up there. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, outside of George Bush sort of saying, you know, you know, the, the axis of evil, at and, and, but I mean, that's how I think that's a characteristic of Americans got, they have a short attention span and then and nobody's ever held accountable for anything. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. um, but I mean, for people like, and I, I, I think I sensed it at the, the uh, Veterans Day Parade in, in Auburn, it says, you know, people what would be going through their minds to see a, an anti-war group of veterans parading down there? Mm -hmm. Everybody's waving the flags and then, you know, so what happened with that? We actually had some of these biker groups, which are, which are kind of, kind of a reactionary and mm -hmm. uh, we got some peace signs from there. These guys are all leathers, you know, with, uh, you know, we got a peace sign from there. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, I mean, Mixed. I'm not exactly sure how to how to, to go forward with that sort of um, you know history, but but it's it's certainly ripe for for exploitation, you know. And to say yes, keep making the uh, statements as well. What happened here? Who's responsible? Mm -hmm. A lot of people in Congress voted for the Iraq War, you know, and. and Funded that Afghanistan war, and as an a, a Iraq veteran, Kelly, so you, what do you, what do you, what do you hear from any of your com compatriots or, or former comrades? Hmm. Is there any sort of discussion about what the hell you were doing? Uh, yeah, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, yeah, and I think it gets more clear as time goes on. Uh, Right. Because it just it looks different when you're five, 10, so for some 15, maybe even 20 years out now, mm -hmm. you know, as opposed to either in it or, you know, just a year or two past mm -hmm. it. Uh, right. But but when you start when you start hitting the point where, um, you know, the the children of the veterans are, get, start getting deployed to the same place because the war isn't even over. Yeah. Uh, right? Like, yeah. that's a whole nother, that just brings a whole nother layer of like, what is <laughs> happening? Like, you know, that there is, there is that promise that mm -hmm. I think a lot of soldiers um, tend to lean into heavily of, I'm doing this now so that my own children don't have to. Mm -hmm. uh, Right. And but when it's literally the same war, like 
the, the children of service members, are, you know, start getting deployed to the exact, like, like there wasn't even a break. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- that adds, I think, some, some additional layers of head scratching of like, what, what exactly was that? Like, why were we there? Like, to what end? Uh, right? Like, it, it doesn't have a real clear, I would call it like muddied at the moment, like it, and there does not seem to be any strong avenues for kind of getting to some conclusions. Mm-hmm. Um, there are it for individually, but at some point it does help to have some collective kind of decisions. I know there's the very beginnings of peace trips uh, to go back to Iraq and Afghanistan. I know some have happened, but I don't think they're widespread yet. Um, but I think that will be another another step kind of in the future of mm-hmm. of of kind of some some collective uh revisiting of what those wars were. Well VFP is actually fortunate to have actually I think it's the president or or uh I think that's what his title is, Garrett Reppenhagen, Reppenhagen executive director. Executive director, and he's a, he's an eloquent and, and a great representative of a, an anti-war mm-hmm. veteran and an Iraq veteran. Um, so I was going to say something else. Go ahead, Dave. You got anything else? I, I was got a short attention span. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I got something. It's a there's a whole thing, um, this whole revenge thing, you know, with the red poppies and stuff. Yeah. I'm thinking one piece of that in terms of, like, the Canadians is that why a lot of Commonwealth country people would see it that way is that what brought the British and the whole Commonwealth into the war was German violation of Belgian neutrality. Yeah. So that's a like we wouldn't even be here if they wouldn't have done that stuff, and therefore we want revenge kind of thing. But then there's some background to that, you know, some fairly obscure stuff I'm not going to go into now. But I think there is some question of Belgium actually sort of okay. Belgium was created as a neutral country in Europe after the Napoleonic Wars. It was like designated officially as a neutral country. But then when they went into Africa and, you know, see what became the Belgian Congo uh, after the Berlin Conference in 1880s, something to do with their activities in Africa basically compromised their whole neutral status, which, I mean, is some weird diplomatic background. I don't understand the background to that. But there was a real question of... um, a link between colonialism conquering other, you know, other parts of the world and the stuff that eventually brought about World War One and then World War Two. And then there's an inter- another byproduct of World War One and Two was that actually created a condition for mass anti-colonial movements. You know, in large parts of the world, that threw out most of your ended up throwing out most of the European. Colonialists. Yeah. Led to Vietnam and you know, led to a whole bunch of current situations. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, go ahead. I just want to come back on this revenge thing. 
I have sort of a hypothesis. It, Kelly, you might know a little bit more. Is that there? I think going into Iraq and Afghanistan, there was a whole sense of among the more right wing military political leadership and a section of troops probably like wanting revenge for 9-11 uh, um i remember ann coulter at the start of the iraq war saying you know bomb their countries kill their leaders convert them to christianity <laughs> and there's this like crazy army general running around trying to you know say your god's no good or something is there a sense that that kind of revenge thing is out there among Iraq vets. My sense, okay. My sense but, is they didn't get that. They actually lost those wars, and now they're like, kind of like screw it, and now they're freaking out in a more fascist direction here. <laughs> but there was a direct, there was a revenge element going into mm -hmm. this. I think we need to really I, solidly oppose, basically. Uh huh. I think, I think there was even for some perhaps stronger than others, but I do think it was in the water because. I was in the greater New York City area on 9-11. Mm -hmm. And so when that happened, you know, there was, well, so I was in that area. I was not on the West Coast, so I can't say what it was like throughout the whole country. Mm -hmm. But my guess is there was like some bloodlust in the water, like, yeah. like that that existed among the common person mm -hmm. um, right and to and to rein that in I remember thinking boy we're sure waiting a long time to respond mm -hmm. yeah. but in hindsight mm -hmm. it was like six weeks or something I mean something that yeah. it, at the time felt very long but in reality was not at all like it, it was way too fast mm -hmm. Um, so, so I do think, I, I think that that was there at the beginning, mm -hmm. but I don't think that was necessarily there five or six, seven years later. Okay. Def I surely don't think it was there 20 years later. Like the rhetoric of like, we need to avenge 9-11. Mm -hmm. I think that has... I just don't think that is a primary kind of gut experience okay. in so. this moment. And those, and the, you know, Iraq and Afghanistan really only, well, we actually still have some presence in Iraq. So uh, I'm not even sure I would classify that as over. Mm -hmm. no, no. Um, so uh, I know, but I think, I, I think it has morphed into I think it has morphed into almost like an identity crisis. Mm -hmm. Like what, what are, what are we doing? What are we all doing? <laughs> What's the world doing? What's the military doing? Yeah. Like what is its purpose? What is its function? Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's a real, I think there's a lot of blurriness mm -hmm. at the moment. Yeah. And I think that is reflected in, in, how one reflect for the veterans, how they reflect back on what, what those wars and conflicts were like, mm -hmm. and it's not clear. I, I, I do think there's, there's a desire for these things to be morally clear. Yeah. So one knows where one stands. Mm -hmm. 
And I think it's more complex than that. And it takes Mm -hmm. a lot of work to find that out and to Mm -hmm. come to an answer. But if you don't have, if you're unable to do the work or you don't have the tools or your community doesn't support that, Mm -hmm. then how do you, how Mm -hmm. do you, how do you find where you yourself stand? Well, that's the sort of plight of uh, almost every veteran of any war anywhere. Mm-hmm. And that for the average veteran, the average sort of soldier, they're left holding the bag. They mm-hmm. may have done some things yeah. really regret. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, they, uh, you know, lost some friends. They killed people they didn't want, really wish they had done it. But in, mm-hmm. in the end, they're holding the bag with their physical and mental uh, injuries with their suicides and and uh, and with you know uh, inconsistent support by the civilian populations mm-hmm. and meanwhile the politicians and the generals go free I mean they write their memoirs and say you know this is what yeah we, you know we won the war but yeah. so we're so we're always the fall fall guys mm-hmm. you know uh, yeah. that's why that's why it's so important for uh, veterans to speak up. And actually, I, I think there should be more accountability, especially for, I'd like to see from veterans doing holding a military leadership accountable. Supposedly mm-hmm. in a, in a, in a, in this society, in this country anyway, the, the generals, the military hierarchies are the professionals who, who give advice to the civilians, political uh, elites. But in almost any, every case, Certainly, since World War II, they've given bad advice, mm-hmm. and, and uh, the uh, average soldier has suffered as a result. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and well, not only the soldier, but the, you know all the people who have lost soldiers. You know, mm-hmm. uh, but they 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 have not been held accountable. Mm-hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. it's, it's, you know, it's not just the wars. I mean, you have to look at uh, you've got a four people who are four generals who are uh, joint chiefs of staff, and. Uh, they haven't really done anything about the horrific rate of sexual abuse in the military, mostly mm-hmm. against women. You've got mm-hmm. four old white guys in there, old generals have been in the in the in in uniform for thirty or forty years, and they haven't done anything about this. Now we have talked about this before, Kelly, about you know, mm-hmm. if you were a company commander, he'd straighten out some people right away, um, start court-martialing people. Right. Right. Like it's disorder. It's a, it's disorder in the troops mm-hmm. and how, right. Like how, how exactly, e- even as an anti-war person, like a military still like needs to be well-disciplined and it's just mm-hmm. a sign of like poor discipline. Mm-hmm. Like what, what military anywhere thinks it's a good idea if its own soldiers attack themselves like how is that mm-hmm. yeah how does how does that make any sense like yeah. to what end mm-hmm. well you know god it, mm-hmm. it's got to have an effect on on efficiency and to say nothing of morale mm-hmm. i mean that you know if you're a woman you won't you won't go to the latrine unless you're accompanied by another woman mm-hmm. you know, uh, god well, you know, one of the things we do is, you know, in counter-recruiting is to talk about this to the uh, mm-hmm. these young girls. And it's interesting that that the um, 
response you get from from these young young women, these girls, really, these 16, 17 year olds, they understand the issues really, really well. The boys, which are 17 year old boys, are brain dead anyway, so they mm. they don't get it. Speaking of brain dead, you've got a you've got some 16 uh, year old son now. For uh, I do. I have um, I have a 17 year old, a 15 year old, and a 12 year old, and. Mm. So they, they were with me in, when we got to visit Belgium. And so oh, oh, yeah. that, that was also very powerful for me oh. to, to be visiting a World War I memorial where, mm-hmm. you know, it's teenagers. I mean, like half the grave sites were teenagers yeah, yeah. fighting teenagers. Yeah. And you're like, this is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Like this, this is so pointless mm-hmm. uh yeah but to yeah to have them to have them there we got to see one of the youngest soldiers i think he was 14 or 15 so of course did not like disclose his age when he joined but but was so young and you're like oh my gosh they're like barely out of childhood mm-hmm. uh right and and it's just, Did you, it's really heartbreaking. What kind of discussions have you had any with your, your kids, Victor, your, your, your boys about that and, and or war? I mean, hmm. Have you had? Yeah. Any, uh, any? yeah, we've had, we've, we've had a lot of, we've had a lot of discussions um, hmm. because they're not that far from 18. Like, you right. know, as long as they're under 18, I can, influence and block any joining of the military but once 18 comes i can no longer do that uh, mm. but yeah but they've they've grown up as a pretty familiar with veterans for peace and like it's just part of our family vernacular now like mm. when mom has to go do something for veterans for peace they're like oh okay like it, it's as normal for them like that that anti-war things just hang around the house um right so they'll i mean it'll be interesting and hopefully not heartbreaking you know to see the world that they enter into mm-hmm. uh, right and what that world is like uh, and was your daughter so, there too, too yeah she was there too yeah. mm-hmm. so she's 12. yeah 12 younger yeah, so she's 12. So yeah. we took a lot of pictures because, you know, they're teenagers. So they were like, this is old. This history is so old. They're like, <laughs> it's like, it's like ancient Greece. <laughs> it's practically the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we took a lot of pictures so that they will be able someday to remember that they were there. And I was like, I mean, I told them, I was like, you could just listen to the lectures and not have to go to history class for the rest of the year. And they're like, no, this is not true. Like these, what, what are all these grave sites? Like, like, so for them, like it, it really was their first experience of like, what is all of this? Like, what is all this processing? Like, what am I seeing with my own eyes there? Um, the thing that I think they remember the most is, there was a farm that had come across unexploded ordinances and put them on the side of the road, uh, waiting for the bomb squad to come pick them up, but they had not yet picked them up. And so we were able to like, go look at them. (laughs) And so they're, 
they were like, what is it? Is it going to explode right now? Oh, no, right. So like to be able to have that visceral experience, I think, I think that is what will stay with them. And then that will be the opening into other things. Mm. So one of the things I, I often reflect on, especially on Armistice Day, but other times too, is like from World War I came this saying, like the war to end all wars. Mm. Yeah. Right. And I and I think of I think that kind of ends up being rehashed. It seems like with every generation, like this is the one. Yeah. Like this is the one that'll end it all. And then it's not, then there's another one. Mm-hmm. And so so I do wonder like where are we collectively, both veterans for peace and the country and the world, like, okay, clearly we know it was not. It was not the war to end all wars. Um, And so, but now what? Do we just kind of throw in the hat and say, well, that was too idealistic. So therefore it's not possible. I like that. That sentiment, I think is, it's an open question. Mm -hmm. Well, that's why it's so important for us as veterans to raise the issue. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that we, uh, you know, and as they, you know, sort of being the fall guys for military service mm. and as drawbacks, one of the things that we did was, was recite the words to the universal soldier, mm. which you're both, I'm sure, familiar with, you know, but the basically the theme of that, of that song and poem is that, is that uh, when will they ever learn? And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, our leadership isn't going to tell us about it. We're going to have to learn this ourselves mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. stop providing the bodies for our, for the wars. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, parents like you have got sort of a, you're on the front line of this sort of thing. And you're talking about mm-hmm. war to, especially you as a veteran, combat veteran. Um, yeah. The part I think about a lot with, with my own kids is, you know, by design, they are teenagers. And so they are, they are designed for adventure, for risk, for learning, for exploration. And so how do those things happen? Like, Mm -hmm. what are the channels in which those things can happen without promoting war? Mm -hmm. Right? Like, what are the paths that are as engaging as military service, although military service usually turns on itself once you actually get to the end of the road as to where it actually all leads. And you're like, this perhaps was not what I thought it was going to be. But but do we have constructive paths for our young people that, that embrace who they are, not just for their war fighting abilities or their prefrontal cortex not all the way developed and so therefore not asking kind of important questions yet where where are those paths and what are those and I think we need to work on that mm-hmm. uh, like I look around and I think we need a whole lot more um, avenues paths to engage our young people yeah. in the work of peace mm-hmm. as something that is active rather than something that is no. passive mm-hmm. 
Well, I uh, we're just going just about out of time here, but I mean, I think that the leadership and example of not only veterans but certainly parents and and, and other people to the younger generation is yeah. critically important. You know, mm-hmm. look up to me. Yeah. I mean, in your case, you've got veterans for peace is sort of like a household name. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah. And. Uh, I've seen this. You probably have two P's. You go to schools or something like that. You, people says, well, I'm glad you're here. And I've, I've never heard this sort of thing before in my life. Mm. You know, mm. about talking about the military and what, you know, some of the liabilities of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I was at a class once and I had a kid tell us, like, I can't believe it. He said, this about a 16, 17 year old boy. Yeah. He said, I can't believe you're here. He says, are they let you talk like this in the class? Yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. invited, you know. Yeah. <laughs> he just was dumbfounded. Yeah. Um, there are educators trying to, you know, turn this stuff around and do the kind of stuff like you were talking about, Kelly, I think in various dimensions. Although maybe not necessarily international war and stuff like that, but more community and intersectionality and people getting along and stuff. Right community kind of peace stuff and well you know the the uh bfp and others other, other organizations are always invited the state of washington has a um i think it's a state law that your school is supposed to invite a, uh, a veteran to speak about you know on veterans day hmm. um Dan, Dan Gilman was invited to speak at uh, Roosevelt and, uh, and uh, they gave us sort of thing as nothing political. So Dan says, this is what I want to talk about. And the students uh, organized you. He says, well, uh, you can't come and talk about that here. <laughs> they, they kicked him off the program because he didn't want to go and give a rah-rah thing for oh. Veterans Day. Hmm. So, I mean, it's, it's people don't want to hear this as well. You know, you did talk about a discouraging word here. You know? mm. oh, okay. really? So, uh, that's about all we got time for now. It's this, this is again, this is uh, KODX 96.9, the Veterans for Peace radio show. Uh, thank you to uh, Kelly Wadsworth and Pete Schoenmaker for mm-hmm. giving us your thoughts on, on uh, Armistice Day, Veterans Day, and other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll look for this. This thing will be broadcast on uh, the radio station, but also be archived on uh, uh, VIP uh, 92, uh, which is Veterans Peace uh, uh, blog uh, or website. So thank you again. Um, thank you. You bet. Thank you. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Yeah.